Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Avery Akineni, and we're going to explore how brands are embracing Web3. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And on Warpcast, I am at Web3Examiner. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app, and happy listening. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Avery Akineni. Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Avery Akineni. If you don't know who Avery is, she is a Web3 strategist and the president of Vayner3, a Web3 consultancy that helps brands navigate the world of Web3. Her podcast is called Generation C. Avery, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing great. So excited to be here. I love your podcasts. I've listened to them for many years. So I'm so honored to be a guest. Well, I'm super excited to have you. Today, Avery and I are going to explore how brands are embracing Web3. But before we go there, I would love to hear your backstory. How did you get into Web3 and NFTs? Start wherever you want to start. Start at the very beginning. Um, I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. So Grew up in Music City, and I moved to California for university. And when I moved there, I was like, this is the best place ever, never going to leave. Went to college in San Diego. And then I got a dream job working at Google shortly thereafter. And that was incredible. I was in the Bay Area, really like peak of every single person I knew was working in technology in some form or fashion, whether they were an engineer or part of the tech boom in marketing or sales or you know, operations and anything else. And I love San Francisco. It was such an exciting time to be there around that like 2011 to 2015 era was an incredible period of innovation and also changing the way that people accessed information and the internet really unlocking all this new opportunity for businesses. I know you were sort of part of that era too with your social media examiner and everything you guys have, have sort of covered off on that. And I started to get more and more interested in what was happening in social media. I moved to New York with Google and my, you know, then fiance, now husband, and, you know, jumped into the ad world and got a little bit closer into how brands are built. Still working at Google when Gary Vaynerchuk came in and did one of his infamous keynotes. And I was very impressed and inspired. And, and more than that, I was very just fascinated by his differentiated approach to brand building. You know, this was 2014 when he was like, brand is built in social. And at the time, Social was getting like 5% of media budgets. It was a, a very uh, different approach to marketing and to brand building. And I just thought it was interesting. And we got a little bit in touch. And over the next couple of years, I got to know folks from his team. 
and ended up joining VaynerMedia in 2018. And that was amazing. Just real quick question. When you were at Google, were you working on the Google Plus side of things or were you not in the social side of things at all, just out of curiosity? Not in the social side of things at all. I definitely had a Google Plus account. I definitely tried to make Google Plus happen with my you know, friends and family. But you no, know, I was working in search and then YouTube and then last on DoubleClick, which is a Google acquisition of a sort of programmatic media buying platform and ad server. Yeah. So keep going with the story. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt Gary thought he was really interesting. Ended up joining VaynerMedia. This was a period where VaynerMedia was just starting to really take off, going from being like a community management and social media agency into like a full service, like, you know, full scale agency. So it was a very interesting time for the business. When I joined, I think we we're about 500 people. And now I think we're just over 2000. So it's grown tremendously in the last five years, not only due to me, of course. Uh, so, you know, VaynerMedia was going up and to the right, really exciting. We were, you know, winning a lot of new business. And I learned how to, you know, strategize around how to leverage media budgets effectively. And through some of the work that I was doing with some of our media clients, it became very clear that there was a big need to scale our business outside of the United States. At the time, VaynerMedia had a small office in London, um, but we didn't have presence in Asia Pacific. And my husband, um, his family is actually from India. And I was very interested in just moving to Asia for personal reasons. So I was like, hey, I think I want to do this. And Gary's like, okay, cool. You should move to Singapore. Like we set up an entity there a few years ago. And yeah, I was like, okay, let's do it. So in 2019, I moved to Singapore for VaynerMedia and started what was then called VaynerMedia Singapore. And very shortly thereafter, we renamed it to VaynerMedia APAC, which is our sort of Asia Pacific regional hub based out of Singapore, but with hubs also in Bangkok, Tokyo, Sydney, and a couple of other awesome spots throughout the region. So that was all going great. Then comes the pandemic, major shakeup, like major um, period of change. The agency was still very small. We only had like maybe 30 or 40 people in this regional team. But I was like, all right, well, there's one way to get through this and we're going to have to figure it out together. We doubled down on our sort of core understanding of social, did a bunch of live streams, did a bunch of virtual shoots and figured it out. And by the time I left in 2021, we were 175 people across the region. And the reason I was ready to go back to the U.S., besides the fact that I was ready for some freedom after being locked up for you know a year and a half, was that uh, I was really interested in what was happening in the Web3 ecosystem, um, starting with NFTs. Gary and I had been chatting about that since late 2020, early 2021, when NFTs kind of popped onto the scene. He was like, these are digital collectibles. I get collectibles. I get community. I think I've really got something to, to bring to market here. And he launched Friends in May of 2021. And... That was like a huge learning for us. I think at Vayner, we like to be hands-on. We like to be practitioners. We don't like to be, you know, in an ivory tower. We like to do things and then then help bring them to our clients. And that was a perfect example. So Gary really cracked the code on Friends, And then we started scaling that out to a number of our other partners. We're all Fortune 500 brands and entities and governments and, and things like that. And then the, the aperture again, like widened. I guess you're sort of seeing a, a pattern here of we start with one thing and then it evolves. And very quickly, I realized that um, NFTs are amazing and an important piece of technology. But that's only one part of the next era of the internet, which I see is much more expansive and broad. And, you know, we renamed to, to Vayner 3 or V3 as a way for us to take on a bit more, be a little bit more expansive in our thinking and the opportunities that we're bringing to clients, whether that is blockchain based or AR, or AI or anything else that sort of fits in this next era of the internet, which we see as being, you know, co-created with consumers and what consumers are looking for is an internet that's immersive and personalized and ownable. And that gives us a lot to play with and experiment with, with the objective of, you know, building business results for our partners. And yeah, that's where I am today. So 
is Vayner 3 or V3 the team that launched vFriends or is it is it something different? I'm just curious. Sister companies. So vFriends actually exists outside of VaynerX. VaynerX is the sort of holding company of brands that focus on marketing initiatives. Primarily, we've got Vayner Speakers, we've got Gallery Media Group, but we are in service of brands at VaynerX. And then vFriends is a separate company, a little bit similar to Vayner Sports, um, where they're outside of the official VaynerX umbrella, but we all share an office. So we are uh, not too far away. So what is Vayner 3 doing these days? Like, and when did it start in, in like 2021 or 2022? I might've missed that part. Yeah, it started in June of 2021. And we uh, work with enterprises to help them navigate like the future of the internet. So we launched very focused, like an inch wide and a mile deep on NFTs. And that's now expanded into doing a lot in immersive worlds, whether that's gaming or that is, you know, metaverse style stuff. We're doing a lot um, right now in AI, which has been a very, very hot topic since the chat GPT watershed moment, doing some stuff with AR. Um, and also stuff with working with our partners to integrate emerging channels into their overall media mix and, and their overall core campaigns, strengthening those versus sort of like launching separate initiatives, which I think was very in vogue, like, you know, a year or two ago. Now I think brands are looking to leverage Web3 as part of their overall brand orchestration and campaign planning. So thank you for that backstory and answering all those questions. There are some people listening now and in the future who work for businesses that they don't own, perhaps their brands or maybe even mid-sized businesses or even startups that want to figure out how to like go heavy into this space. And perhaps they're skeptical, right? Because depending yeah. on when you're listening to this, there's been a lot of FUD in the world of Web3. We have called it kind of a crypto winter here for a little while as of this recording. So what do you want to say to marketers and brands as far as why they ought to pay attention to Web3, make the case as to maybe why there might be a future there for them? Yeah, I think that change is the only constant in marketing. And a lot of times people you know, who are Web3 native will say like, oh, Avery, you work with all these Web2 brands. And I'm like, I kind of, but mostly we work with brands who have existed for many centuries. Um, if you, you know, I'll, I'll share a bit about like a Budweiser or Johnny Walker, both of which are big, you know, sort of public gainer clients. They've existed for centuries. And the reason that they've existed is because, of course, they have delicious beverages, but also because they've been able to evolve their marketing. I think when you look at marketing leaders, those who are able to drive success over the long term are those who can do an excellent job with what's working today as they build towards what's working for tomorrow. And balancing that almost like a scale, right? There's 90% that tried and true and 10% this innovation. But if you get a few of those innovation things right, can really turn into this flywheel that helps balance your marketing mix. Because we know digital Darwinism is a real thing. Like many of the companies on the Fortune 500 list 10 years ago are not there anymore because they didn't pay enough attention what social media was, you know, starting to be a little thing. Then it became a bigger thing when they didn't pay enough attention to digital. And I think that understanding consumer behavior and understanding what consumers are looking for out of their digital experiences is critical. So go where the consumers are going is an important thing. Of course, that doesn't need to be 100% of your strategy. It's still a small thing. It's still niche. As you just mentioned, Michael, it's still a crypto winter as of April 5th, 2023. But we also know these things are cyclical and history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And we can see these patterns that have existed in many other forms of, you know, technological revolutions over the years. The Internet was a big thing, even if Pets.com wasn't like there are these big cycles that repeat and repeat. Yes, I think pricing got a little too hot and people got a little out of hand. But the facts remain that time spent on digital devices continues to climb in one direction month over month and year over year. 
And as people start to build their identities in a digital first world, then owning digital things really matters. The way that that manifests might not always be like trending collections on OpenSea, but I think it's a fundamental building block of, of the next internet that's very important to pay attention to. So balancing that like future with the practicality of the now is always that delicate, you know, prioritization. But I think those who've driven like really impressive business results over time have found that balance and found a way to make it work together and in conjunction. I like that you said history rhymes. We had uh, historian Josh Rosenthal on the show early in the show, and he is a Renaissance historian. And he looked at how the invention of the Gutenberg press, along with the dis- rediscovery of the public ledger, kind of revolutionized commerce back in the medieval era and how a lot of that is kind of coming to be true again with this decentralized concept and this democratization of all sorts of fascinating things, which I won't get into right now. But what I like about what I heard you say is that, hey, brands, you don't have to put all your eggs in this Web3 basket, but just like with social, those who got in early had an advantage. Like I remember Ford, you know, Scott Monty, Comcast, Frank Elias and Comcast Cares, some of these brands that got in really early in social, they got a lot of lift because they were there early, right? And there is a lot of opportunity to get here and get in early when there's not a lot of competition. Agree? I completely agree. I think that early adopters and early movers can always um, always have this advantage, right? Because it's not just an advantage on things like pricing or press, which certainly matter. But it's also an advantage of training your team to understand this stuff so that when they see the right moment, they see that watershed moment, they're ready to activate and they're ready to lean in and really do something cool. It's almost like building that muscle within an organization that becomes so important. Like innovation always matters and emerging channels always matter. Keeping an eye on those and leaning in and testing things, I think is critical to the health of and long-term success of, of major businesses. I understand the skeptics, right? Like I... And that's actually a huge reason why, at least at Vayner and on my team, we don't push people to activate. You know, we've done dozens of strategies for major brands that everyone's heard of that never actually, that are not ready to launch quite yet because the brands aren't ready quite yet. But they want to learn, they want to think, they want to understand, and they want to be ready when the timing is right because the timing will be right at a certain point. But taking the time to educate your organization and build a strategy towards how you're thinking of this next iteration of the internet is super important. It's not always about activating. I think so many brands are actually taking the time to listen and learn, especially in the era of right now, right? Like in the the free money era of 2021 is over. And now people are taking a more sort of thoughtful, considered approach to how they can do things that build their brands in this, you know, future of the internet without needing to rush into it before they kind of miss the gold rush. So I actually think it's a it's a very good thing. And you know, we don't, we're never in the business of pushing people to do things, right? Like they do things when they're ready, um, but taking the time to learn and listen is critical or else you're going to be left behind. You're going to miss the boat. And organizations who've built that muscle of sort of speed and agility around emerging technologies continue to be ahead of the curve. And I think we've seen examples of brands who've really innovated in this way as well. Like, you know, we can talk about Red Bull and how they change the paradigm of how a beverage brand works with sports, right? Like they've, they've leveraged social to this just insane degree to build their brand. And I think you're starting to see some of those early winners in the world of Web3 too, who've been there, who've been consistent, who've driven real business results. And they're you know, continuing to make the name for themselves as sort of leading the pack here. I'm sure that what's on the mind of a lot of people is, especially those that are watching the space very closely, they're like, okay, 
how long do I wait before I jump in? Right. They look at maybe what Porsche did, or they look at what some of these other brands are doing and some of the kind of mistakes and mishaps that have happened along the way. They also look at the fact that there doesn't seem to be a lot of at least consumers yet who are ready and understand the way we operate in Web3 today, right? With setting up a digital wallet and all these other kind of things. So any advice on like when people should start here, you know, and, and, and what does it really mean to start? Like, cause in my mind, it doesn't mean necessarily to launch something, right? It probably means to be doing something more. So, so any advice to those that are listening right now that are like watching this space closely and are kind of asking the question when? Yeah. I think the answer to when like varies on a million different factors, but it depends on business priorities. It depends on something that has cultural relevance. And it depends on when you have the right external, that right internal sort of stakeholder alignment. Like now is the time to learn. This is homework season. This is pay attention to what's working. This is study. This is like, you know, start to craft. Um, and then I think this fact, so like really listen and understand, then get a strategy in place. Like what are your objectives? Like, I think the number one mistake I see brands make is just, activate for the sake of activating, which oftentimes backfires or doesn't land the way they were thinking, but have a really thoughtful strategy and also commitment to staying with it for, you know, at least a, a predetermined period of time. The nature of how brands work is like the average CMO tenure is under two years. People are not on a brand for their entire life, right? So you have to design something and commit to it, at least at a personal level to see through whatever you've sort of started with building a community. I think that's important. And then, then you're ready to activate. When you've got the right stakeholders aligned, you've got the right strategy, you've got a plan that you think you're going to be proud of, not just in 30 days, but in, you know, 30 years. You know, it's, it's funny because I, I think that a lot of businesses have this campaign mentality. We saw this with social media where they said, okay, we'll set up a Facebook page back in the olden days and we'll just see what happens. They don't realize it's kind of a forever thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm just wondering whether there's some mindset shifts that you think need to, to take place with the way these things work, because when someone does a transaction in this particular case, this is very different than them buying your product, right? And and then them just taking it home because they've got some sort of expectation that there might be some increase in value on this investment that they're making. Does this require, and are you talking to some of your customers and prospects about maybe having a different perspective on the mindset? Yes. Yes. I think the blockchain is forever. And that's something that we deeply believe in. And, you know, you'll have this sort of proof forever. The reality is there's an abundance of NFTs being created all the time. There are many blockchains, so some of which will probably continue to, to be majorly important, some of which maybe not. Nobody has a crystal ball, but I think it's, yes, be very thoughtful really matters. And then the second part is, I mean, the vast majority of what we do is not for commercial purposes right now. I think for brands, whenever a brand, you know, like reaches out and wants to connect and like our objective is, you know, make money on this. We're not, that's not a strategy that we're going to be aligned with because we don't view this as um, maybe it's like, Hey, how can I cost neutralize my marketing over time? Like that's something that can make sense, but just looking to sort of use this as like a monetization tactic, I don't think is a strategy that we see being very successful um, in 2023. If you want a digital inventory strategy or a digital item strategy, that can make sense. And that might be very different. It might be like, awesome, let's figure out how we can really make people want to buy AirPods and Roblox and Fortnite. And like, that's a thing we could do. It depends on on what people are kind of like looking for. But that's the reason you haven't seen Vayner do many uh, drops that are like for, you know, for a fee. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, so let's start by talking about before now, right? The past, how have brands 
been embracing Web3, and then we'll get into kind of how you see things changing, but kind of just give those that are listening some examples of some brands or businesses that whether they did good or bad and, you know, what's been the general thinking pre-April 2023 when it comes to embracing Web3, and then we'll talk about how that probably is shifting now. Yeah, I think it start, It all started with NFTs. And I would say early in 2021, we saw brands experimenting with doing NFTs as a cultural relevance play. I'll give, you know, examples of Charmin or Taco Bell, not Vayner clients on these particular initiatives, but they were very early to the game of like, hey, people are talking about something, let's do something relevant that generates buzz, maybe a little bit of earned media. Those were also like free or a dollar or something that went to charity. They were like very early. And then this kicked off this kind of wave, and I would call it NFT summer of, of 2021, where, I mean... Everyone was seeing headlines of digital art is selling for $69 million. Like there's all this kind of, you know, energy towards this. And I think that brought in a lot of consumers and also wherever consumers go, brands follow. And then it brought in a lot of brands. They're like, hey, I got to figure out this NFT thing. You know, what's the plan around NFTs? And, you know, we had so much demand from our uh, partners of wanting to work together and figure this out. I think because Vayner, you know, we work with Fortune 500 companies and, and global brands, our partners have, are always pretty thoughtful. They're, you know, very seasoned marketers. They understand how this type of thing works. They don't want to do something that's just a shiny toy, but they want to do something that drives cultural relevance. And that cultural relevance gave way to, you know, creating digital product businesses, which I think has been done very, very successfully. I'll, I'll give Nike a shout out here. I mean, they've done almost $200 million in digital digital NFT revenue, which is a very considerable amount, right? Like that's a real number. Are you talking about Artifact in particular or are you talking about something else? That's through Artifact and, and Nike branded drops. I know that data is like available publicly from June because as you said earlier, Michael, the blockchain is public. So I think there was this era of like digital products that people started to crack and that started to also open up the eyes of a lot of CFOs of like, oh, wow, people might pay for a digital product. Now, what I think people miss is that Nike, you know, they've had the sneakers app for a very long time, many, many years. And they've been in the digital product game even before NFTs. But NFTs was a way that they like really quickly capitalized uh, a financial op- on a financial opportunity, which was cool. Then we see a lot of other brands sort of playing in the space, jumping in, doing things that are culturally relevant, that are business building, that are brand building. And I would say that was the like NFT for novelty era of like, or NFT for relevance. And then I think we fast forward to mid 2022, like about a year ago, and we started to see NFTs used as more of a utility play than a collectible play. We started to see NFTs for loyalty, NFTs for membership, NFTs anchored into core brand initiatives. And I think that kind of brings in this idea of using Web3 as a layer underneath core campaigns to supercharge, you know, what's possible and and bring core brand initiatives into the next era of the internet. Um, And I think that's kind of where we are right now. And I would say the demand levels, you know, went from zero, like if you said NFT in 2020 to a brand, they would not know what you were talking about, to like, oh my God, off the charts. Everyone was like, teach me about this. I need to learn to, okay, like kind of a plateau period of like, let's figure this out. Like, let's do something utility. And, and then, you know, there's been a number of, of troubling headlines, you know, whether it's FTX or the Doquan stuff, or just a number of sort of crypto related bad news cycles that I think have been challenging. It makes marketers question whether it's too early to get into the space, whether it's the right time. It also makes CEOs and CFOs very skeptical because I think to many people, NFTs and crypto are very interlinked. Of course, you and I both know that they can be separated and 
crypto can exist without NFTs, NFTs can exist without crypto. But the reality is, I, I think they are interlinked for a lot of people and the, the primary method to purchasing NFTs is still via cryptocurrency. So I think there's like been some like drop off points, but the level of curiosity actually still remains very strong. And now where I think we are is in this sort of brand journey is understanding how Web3 can be a business driver and also defining what Web3 means. Because there's been a sort of swirling of of many different things, whether it's NFTs and crypto and metaverse sort of around this world, or as I sort of shared at, at the top of this pod, the way that we're thinking about it, Vayner, which is probably the most expansive definition is like really future of the internet that's anchored to, to what consumers are asking for. So just to summarize what I heard you say in the early days of NFTs on the big brand side, you had brands like Sherman and others doing really inexpensive NFTs as a novelty. And then eventually you had these brands doing more innovative things like Nike acquiring Artifact, for example, and doing all sorts of fascinating things. And then about a year ago, no, a couple of years ago, mid-2022, you had this loyalty and membership play. I don't know a lot of brands that have done loyalty and membership play, but I do know that Gary did something with a restaurant in New York City, right? Yeah. Is that is that an example of it? Or are there other examples of the membership side of things that you could just explain for those that in the loyalty? Well, and of course, we've got Starbucks as well, right? With what they're rolling out right now. Yeah, for sure. So Gary launched another sort of sister company that's not part of VaynerX, but is part of the Vayner family. He launched a company called BCR Group with two longtime friends and, and business associates, David Rodolitz, who's the CEO, and Josh Capon, who's the chef. They launched Flyfish Club, um, an NFT membership-enabled private members club, which is going to be opening up in the Lower East Side this fall. And the idea here was basically to leverage NFTs as a membership pass to go to this club, which will be um, an incredible sushi restaurant. Um, this was announced about a year ago and has you know, just had a tremendously successful first sort of like round or mint out. And since then, there's been a lot of trading activity and volume, I think, you know, sort of matching up to what people were looking to to buy and trade and collect in the NFT space. But that's a good example of something that's like really a membership club. And Starbucks came on as, you know, Starbucks has an industry leading loyalty program, their, their use of stars. I know I am personally a power user of my Starbucks app and stars. And they brought back Adam Brotman, who had been their chief digital officer, who had sort of shepherded that program. They brought him in and his new consultancy or his new, uh, excuse me, platform called Forum 3 to help them, you know, bring their Starbucks stars like on chain through their Odyssey program. And that's been tremendously successful, hundreds of thousands of users and, you know, millions of dollars of marketing, of market capitalization on something that's only a few months old. So that's, you know, two really interesting examples of brands leveraging NFTs for a real utility and something that people use like day to day, like going to a restaurant or, you know, going into Starbucks. Okay. So now I would love to have you explain kind of where you see things heading in the next couple of years. I'm sure that you're innovative. You're having conversations with all sorts of brands that have crazy ideas that you can't disclose, but but maybe you can just kind of say, all right, this is where you see kind of NFTs and Web3 heading for, for the brands and businesses that are listening that might not have considered like the next evolution of this. Like, where do you see it all going? I see a big departure from this idea of Web3 in a silo. I think that was what was very popular in 21, 22, where like, great, there's a Web3 team launching a net new thing that's, you know, separate from the rest of the business. That was a very popular strategy just from an organizational perspective. And there are reasons for that, right? 
enable teams to move faster with fewer barriers and fewer, like less bureaucracy. And there was just like such a financial opportunity that a lot of people did that. Like, okay, I'm going to do this Web3 thing over here on the side. And then there was a bit of a transition period of like, WTF are we doing? And now where I see brands heading is leveraging Web3 instead of as a campaign or as a siloed initiative, as a channel for their core business sort of planning. You know, we just got down to the client call where we're sort of discussing this of like Web3 has to be a part of the strategy, not like always a, a different strategy. I think that also helps address some of the questions and concerns that, you know, CFOs and CEOs might have of if it's too risky to do something that's super like crypto first and off to the side and weird and not on brand with the rest of what, you know, the, the brand is doing and talking about. So I think we'll see a shift from these kind of siloed programs into integrated marketing efforts that leverage Web3 and interlink core brand priorities with what Web3 can do. So there's a lot of discussion on loyalty right now. I will tell you that there are a lot of partners who are also building for this space and enabling big brands to easily uh, embed wallets um, sort of on the back end. We'll talk about Reddit. We did a really nice piece of external thought leadership with them last summer. And we've worked a bit with them on sort of shaping how they're thinking about Web3. They have a tremendously successful program leveraging their new character and they call it Reddit Collectible Avatars. And the beauty of it is they've deployed millions of these collectible avatars that people can buy, trade, sell, have in their vault. And they're doing this in a way that doesn't have a lot of customer friction because that wallet is kind of built in already to Reddit and they're not using technical terminology like blockchain and NFT um, and you know, wallet or DAP, they're just saying, this is your vault and these are your collectible avatars. So I think we'll see that more of that direction in the future versus sort of sprinting to get an MVP to market that might be sort of a, a separate initiative. Earlier in the interview, you threw out the word immersive experiences, which is, or immersive, I don't know what the word was, but the word immersive was in there. This is a word I'm starting to hear come up a little bit more, which seems to be an alternative to metaverse. Talk to me a little bit about wh where you see that going and what that really means for people that may not understand that phrase. Yeah, I think it, it can be an, a substitute word for metaverse, but to us, it's just an internet that comes to life in a whole new way. So I don't know if you have ever played um, in the gaming world, but whether it's a Roblox or a Fortnite or some of the sort of decentralized worlds like a sandbox or you know, Decentraland, but basically a, an immersive digital world where you can buy, sell, trade, own your experiences and, and build your digital identity. I think right now we think about these as like very separate like ecosystems. And in the future, that might come to life in a different way, even through like browser-based activity. We're seeing a lot of that or even through, you know, sort of extended or augmented reality. I think that's, that's how do we bucket in this like immersive experiences so that it's not as, you know, we have to be on this domain or using this app but it's this idea of a richer world and richer internet beyond just visuals and text um, that we're kind of used to today. I don't know if there's any examples of any customers that you can talk about that are doing some really kind of cutting edge things or other brands that you've seen doing some cool stuff. That's kind of where you think it's going. But if there are, I'd love to hear because I think it'll help people in their mind, wrap their head around kind of where this could go. And if there aren't, then I'll just go to my next question. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of, of our partners who've done really cool stuff. One, we we work with Coinbase and they are building um, something really incredible, um, which is called their wallet as a service product. And Coinbase wallet as a service actually enables 
any brand to implement wallets sort of on their back end so that their customers can participate in all things sort of Web3. It sounds like Stripe almost, huh? It's like Stripe almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we just did a really cool event with them at South By that sort of showcased this to marketers. I think that's a really interesting piece of work that's a big enabler. On more of the sort of, you know, consumer facing brands, we continue to do a lot of really interesting stuff with Bud Light tomorrow's National Beer Day. So get excited for what may or may not be happening there. And we have some partnerships with other brands that continue to sort of explore and, and push the boundaries of what's possible in the world of Web3. Back on the, the sort of point on South by Johnny Walker has been, you know, they always say keep walking progress is core to the brand's spirit. And they have been the sort of like lead brand within the Diageo portfolio for experimentation in the Web3 space. Also just did a, a thing with them at South by that left and you know, it's a whiskey brand. So like liquid to lips matters, like you have to taste, you have to have it shared experiences. You have to show up at these cool places. And, you know, one thing that was an, an add-on to their core sort of software programming was their guests who were able to sort of sample Johnny Walker uh, were given like a quiz that, you know, you get a pull up as a result. And then you show that pull up to the bartender and you get a free drink. And I was like, okay, that's kind of nice, kind of cute idea. And I was like, how many hundred people do you get? And they're like, oh, we got like almost 4,000 people who claim these pull ups. And I was like, that's amazing because we can then take that data and start to re-engage those consumers and build an experience that lets them learn more about Johnny Walker and builds off of something in person into this sort of new digital reality um, that we all know and, and see coming. So that's another just kind of fun example of, of something that we're kicking around. For those that are that have invested a lot, like myself in NFTs, you know, the communication layer seems to be still missing, right? Like you, you get all these PO apps and I guess the good news about a PO app is it does collect your email address if you don't already have a digital wallet. But what do you think technologically needs to happen in order to enable that communication layer when it comes to Web3? Because, you know, most people are connecting with a digital wallet, if you will, that's just a number, right? So is there some technology that you think is eventually going to come that's going to allow this communication layer to live on top of these digital assets? I hope so. I agree. I think that a lot of the communication for these programs and communities uh, lives on Discord or lives on Twitter. And I do think those are limiting because not everyone's on Discord and Twitter. I would love a super app just for all things, right? That like pulls in my Slack and pulls in my Discord and pulls in my email and text into one place. It's so hard to respond across all these channels and keep up with everyone, you know, across all these places. So I assume that one will come one day that pulls these all in one place for you. And I look forward to that. But you know what, actually, Michael, that I think is actually needed to sort of bring a broader swath of people in is design programs that people want and that they care about. What works about the Johnny Walker thing is people want a free drink and they are like down to engage to get one. Design programs that people find value in and find interesting. I think there's some, you know, technical barriers, but there's also a lot of, you know, concept barriers. Like it has to be like getting people to do something is hard and, and getting hundreds of thousands to millions of people to do something is a lot harder like create enough spark and desirability in what you're building to to get people to come because if you build it, they won't necessarily come. And, you know, I contrast what's happening, what's happened with this sort of like decentralized wallet space with what's happened with the AI space and how easy it is for anyone to get chat GPT. It's just such a contrast, like how much friction there is and setting up your ledger and getting everything set up. It's just like too, it's too much work for like the average person to participate. And I think we need that like seamless, easy user interface. But even more than that, we need programs that are really desirable and that people are like, holy, shit, I need to get that. 
Yeah. And I think that this is part of the reason why everybody who's listening really needs to pay attention because look what happened between November 30th and today, literally the fastest adoption of any technology in the history of the world in the case of chat GPT, right? And transformative. All it took was a heck of a lot of work and lots of years behind the scenes, right? And my guess is there's developers at companies all over the internet from brands that are unknown and known that are working on something that soon will be released. And when that comes, these barriers will be eliminated. Just like in the olden days, you had to know HTML to, to, to code a website and then WordPress came exactly. out and it changed everything, right? For anyone listening right now who wants to embrace Web3, but is just getting started, what do they need to be thinking about? Because there's some people that are like, okay, Avery, you've kind of convinced me I need to consider this, but I'm going to need to process it. I might even need to send it up the chain. So what do they need to be thinking about? I think they need to be thinking about how this, how Web3 can help them solve business problems. I think if you're sending it up the chain, that's what your boss's boss is going to ask, right? Like, how does this help me grow my share of my soda brand? How does this help me sell more boots? Like whatever the your business challenge is, think about that. And it might not be the sell more boots. It might be like, this helps me drive cultural relevance with Gen Z, who's ultimately we need to win in order to win our core consumer. It might not be so linear, right? But you have to think about how this actually helps address business challenges and with with a, with something that's creative and cool. I think that the other advice I would give people is really take the time to get hands-on with it yourself. Like go play with ChatGPT, set up your wallet, get an NFT, like and not a random one, like pick one that's something you actually think is cool and you believe in and I think it'll be very pleasantly surprised at like how warm and welcoming a lot of these communities are. And there's aligned incentives for between the project owner and, and the holder for these projects to succeed. So I think get in it yourself, but also retain that like, you know, business acumen that has put you in the role that you're in today. I think sometimes people go too far into the, you know, utopia rabbit hole of Web3 and that becomes hard for executives to really grasp. They're like, okay, but back to how this helps me sell more boots. So I think balancing an understanding of what what the culture is with the business objectives of your organization are that's the magic sauce, right? It doesn't have it, we all know that this will not be a decentralized utopia anytime soon, but I think we can learn from some of some of these early pioneers to craft something that really does drive meaningful business impact for organizations. So for those that might struggle to figure out how Web3 could solve their business challenges, Maybe we could reverse engineer why we think, for example, Nike purchased Artifact or why Starbucks Odyssey exists and what kind of business challenges those are solving just so people could understand that. Do you have your thoughts on both of those brands and maybe what this is solving for? For sure. Well, I don't work on either of them, so do not speak on behalf of Nike or Starbucks. Yeah, we're just reverse engineering it. You know, we're hypothesizing. We're reverse engineering it. Yeah. yeah. So I think Nike acquiring Artifact in late 2021 was a watershed moment. I mean, they spent, they invested considerably in a small team that I kind of think they acquired because they were like, oh, these guys sold $3 million of digital sneakers in seven minutes. Like we've never sold $3 million of digital sneakers in seven minutes. What do they know that we don't? And they hired that team um, into Nike. And I think that was a really smart move. I think they did that because they realized that digital first reality is not coming in the future. It's here now. And understanding how, you know, Benoit and the team like harnessed that understanding to create a product that answered market demand I think that's what they were buying. They were buying an understanding of digital first. I think Starbucks is thinking the same thing. They're like, okay, great. People do go into our stores every day. We've got great frequency. We've got a great loyalty program, but it didn't start out with, you know, hundreds of millions of users. It started out small. And we started out like getting the early adopters to buy in. When you get back to our earlier conversation, when you get the early adopters to buy in, other people follow. 
So learning and winning with the early adopters has been something that's been core to, to Starbucks' strategy for the, the app and their loyalty program. And that makes sense why they're the first mover into this world as well, is you've got to invest a little bit in the future as you balance the realities of today. Well, and if we think about Starbucks, their loyalty program is costing them a lot of money because they're giving either discount or free. I'm not a, I'm not a coffee drinker, but they're giving you free coffee whenever you go in there, right? Or they're giving you yeah. discounts, which costs them money and time, right? And if they can solve that problem with something that is more scarce and doesn't have that cost, like a digital stamp, right? Which you can earn and you could potentially resell on a secondary market. That actually solves a big problem for them, which is creating even more loyal customers. And they can incentivize those customers to do actions like go into the store for seven days in a row during the holidays to earn this special stamp, which you can turn around and they don't tell you you can sell them, but you can sell them for a lot of money on the secondary markets. All of a sudden that reprograms loyalty, doesn't it? With some of your most loyal customers and the cost is negligible compared to the cost of giving away free product. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's digital value creation. And that's something that I think every single brand should be thinking about now. Because, you know, even though people go in every day, like there are some people who don't. There are some people who are, you know, spending a lot of their free time in digital world. So like Starbucks is building a muscle of creating digital value through their Odyssey program, in addition to the the sort of loyalty mechanics and strengthening their loyalty program. Anything we need to think about on the consumer side? Because obviously we're still early, so it's not going to be every consumer that's going to jump into a project like this, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think about the consumer a lot. Like consumer insights are our oxygen at Vayner and understanding what's motivating consumers to participate in these new worlds, I think is, is something that we spend a lot of time understanding. So if I were a brand, I would also understand what is getting consumers to, to want to buy a Starbucks Odyssey stamp. Like what's that? incentive for them? Is it that they want to make money? Is it they want to, you know, have a higher status? Is it that they want to digitally flex? Is it that they want to engage more deeply with the brand? Like everything has to ladder back to consumer insights. Start with and end with consumer insights that kind of help brands build upon, upon their initial success. Avery, if people want to connect with you on the socials, what's your preferred platform? And also if they want to go and figure out more about what Vayner3 is doing, where do you want to send them? Well, we would love for you to check us out. Join our community. Our little community is Vayner3. We are at Vayner3 on LinkedIn, at Twitter, on Instagram. We've got a couple of channels cooking. And I am at Avery Akinini across all of those platforms. So please feel free to follow along. We do a lot of thought leadership work as well. So Vayner3.com slash learn is a great resource if you're curious what we think about any you know form of emerging technology or innovation or Web3 sort of latest news. We post all of that at Vayner3.com slash learn. I'll also add by uh, end by saying, um, I also have a podcast, which is called Generation C. I host it with Sam Ewan every week on Coindesk. So check that out. We love to have in different marketers, Vayner partners, clients, friends. So check us out and you know hear from the mouths of some of these marketers and brands directly on what's motivating them to get into Web3, what they're thinking, what they're learning. And for those that are listening on the podcast, Akinini is spelled A-K-K-I-N-E-N-I. And you said it was Avery and then... What I just spelled on all the social platforms is that is there one preferred that you, Twitter or Instagram or is yeah it? I would say I would say Twitter or LinkedIn I, okay. I try to post what I'm thinking about um, on both of those platforms Avery thank you so much for coming on and answering all my litany of questions we are so much better because of it really appreciate your time today I'm so honored to have spent some time with you thank you for having me and thank you everybody for tuning in and taking the time to you know listen and and hear what we're thinking about. Hey if you missed anything we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W68. And if you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. 
And would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. On Twitter, I'm at Mike underscore Stelzner. And on Warpcast, I'm at Web3Examiner. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may Web3 continue to change your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored Podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.